Good morning, everybody. Uh, hopefully you got our email this morning, or yesterday morning, I guess it would be for you, uh, talking about our services. So as some of you are aware, we have the ability now to do outdoor services. Um, we kind of got to that a little late in the week for us to be able to pull that off for this Sunday. Also, it was supposed to be bad weather this Sunday, so uh, we're kind of putting our energy into Easter services, which we are going to be, I believe, allowed to do indoors. Now, there's a lot of you know, further restrictions that means that we can only do like 17 people in this particular sanctuary but um, if we can get a different venue then we'd be able to do a lot more uh, up to 50. So we're looking into that we're going to get back to you guys if that doesn't work out then we will do an outdoor service in the parking lot for Easter so in like a week we're going to get to see each other which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, this week and it's great that it's Easter too isn't it because it kind of quit around Easter but this week is Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. And if you've been tracking with us so far, we've been working through the book of Luke and we've been really in this last probably six or seven sermons, been talking a lot about Jesus bringing in this new kind of kingdom and what that looks like. And it's typically in Jesus's fashion, upside down and backwards to everything that we normally expect. It's counterintuitive, it's countercultural, and it's very hard for us to understand naturally because Jesus is challenging us and he's confrontational and today is no exception. This is the pinnacle or climax of Jesus's sort of confrontational claim as the Messiah of, of the Jews, but also as the Savior of the world. And so today we're jumping out of Luke's narrative and into Matthew's narrative. So we're in the book of Matthew chapter 21 and verses 1 to 11. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the mountain of Olives, on the Mount of Olives, excuse me, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So to understand this passage, we have to understand a little bit of history about Israel and what they have been going through in terms of their sort of political station in life. Now, in BC 167, I believe it was, um, was this Maccabean revolt. And a lot of commentators will say, and it's very clear, the imagery that Jesus is using by calling for uh, an animal to ride into and this like the palm branches waving and this triumphal entry into Jerusalem is a replica 
uh, he's replicating the, the Maccabean revolt, which was when the Jews were very oppressed by uh, the Syrians, Alexander the Great, and after him, they, they began to become oppressed by them, uh, both religiously and politically. And this guy uh, comes in, Antiochus IV, comes in, wipes out Judea, and overthrows them militarily speaking. And then to add insult to injury says, you cannot continue to worship the one God. You can no longer worship God who's brought you out of Egypt and all these things. And he defiles the temple by slaughtering pigs inside of there, which is obviously not kosher. And then he does all of these things and he forces them to worship Zeus. And he's, he's really, what he's doing is he's spreading the Greek culture into all of these places that he's overthrowing. And he's, he's trying to establish an empire. And when he does this to the Jews, a lot of the Jews or the Hellenistic Jews who have adopted this kind of go along with it, but a number of them go, we cannot be who we are anymore under this guy. And so they revolt. And this is the Maccabean revolt it comes from Judah Maccabeus. And this guy says enough's enough. And they go like military, like guerrilla warfare. And they go out and they begin to attack this opposing army. And they eventually end up overthrowing them. And they make this deal with Rome. And then they establish their strength and presence. And they get to, they, they come back. And after the temple has been defiled, they get to, once they have conquered over this thing and reestablished themselves, they purify the temple. And this is still celebrated by the Jews. This becomes a new sort of yearly observance of theirs. Well, they'll, they'll celebrate this feast. And so at this feast, they have these same things happening. It's the palm branches. It's, uh, it's you know, this warrior king who comes in to liberate the Jews from their oppressive enemies who surround them. They're, they're celebrating and worshiping him as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. The same thing is happening to him. And so by doing this for Jesus, they're really saying, we think you're our guy. We think you're going to be our savior. We think you're going to be uh, this, this warrior conquering king. And that's what they're expecting. That's the savior that they're expecting. But it's not quite the savior that they're getting, right? Because in all things, Jesus is very similar. He sends for this donkey and he's riding in on this thing. He's coming into Jerusalem. The palm branches are all there. But when all things are the same and there's only one difference, it's really important to pay attention to that difference. And the one difference for Jesus is that he doesn't come in on a war horse. He doesn't come in with spears in hand and, you know, conquering over the land. He comes in gentle, humble, on a donkey, riding on the back, on the foal of a donkey he comes in, right? And so we learn a number of things about who Jesus is and about this kingdom that he's establishing. And Jesus is making the claim in the boldest way that he can in his entire ministry because he's coming to the cross and the, and the days are ending, you know, when he can stay in secrecy and go, you know, I'm, I'm, He's not, he never really outright denies that he's the Messiah, but he has the secret. He tells his disciples, don't tell people this. Don't spread this word. When he heals people, he says, don't go spreading this word around. He doesn't want it to get around. But now it's the chains are off, the gloves are off, and Jesus is making the statement. Just before the triumphal entry, as he's making his way to Jerusalem and to ultimately the cross, Jesus sees these two blind men. This is in Matthew 20, and the passage just before this, where we're at today sees two blind men on the side of the road and the two blind men cry out to him as they hear that he's passing by and they and they say lord son of david have mercy on us 
Now, this phrase, this name, son of David, is laden theologically, politically, historically. This means something to these people. And this is saying, it's, it's like us saying Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Lord. They're saying the same thing. We recognize you as this son of David, this long prophesied about and awaited Savior Messiah. It's a, it's a direct claim. They're saying, this is who you are, Lord, son of David. Have mercy on us, they say. And Jesus says, okay. He responds to it. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 let you know, take it easy with all this stuff. He goes, I will, I will answer to that name. He answers to it. And then he heals them and he affirms these men who have called him this son of David. He affirms that name and title that they give him by healing them and saying, this is who I am. Then he comes in, triumphal entry. Then he goes after this passage into the temple and he cleanses the temple famously. Now, of course, all of these passages need, you know, their own treatment, but they serve sort of as bookends of what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's finally saying, this is who I am. When he cleanses the temple, he says, this is my house that you have defiled. And he starts rearranging the furniture. Timothy Keller has a great sermon on this called Into Jerusalem. And he says, he says, you don't rearrange the furniture in somebody else's house, right? And Jesus is doing this. He is rearranging the furniture and he's saying, what you're doing is wrong and I'm not going to have it. And he's saying, I am the king. But in that statement, which is very clear and very intentional on Jesus's part, he's saying, I am this king. There is this one difference. Everything's the same, but there's this one difference. Jesus doesn't ride in on a war horse. Jesus rides in humbly, gently on a donkey. And so what does this say about Jesus? He's trying to say, I'm not like the conquering king. I'm not coming with strength. I'm not coming as a military conqueror. I'm coming in peace. And so if a person rides in on a donkey, if a king rides in on a donkey, it's a, it's a declaration of peace. You don't ride to war on a donkey, right? Donkeys are stubborn animals. And this is a, this is worth pointing out. I mean, we all recognize that donkeys are stubborn animals, but Jesus sends his disciples for a donkey. This is in fulfillment of Zechariah 9-9, which says he will come gently riding on the back of a donkey on the foal of a donkey, but he sends them to go get a donkey and then get the foal or colt of a donkey, this unbroken young donkey. If you can't get a grown-up donkey to do what you want it to do, how much harder is it to ride and, and what are your expectations for riding in on the back of an unbroken donkey? But Jesus shows that he is the king once again. And as we've seen, if you've been tracking with us through this series on Luke, Jesus is constantly showing his authority as the Messiah, right? He says to people who are dead, get up, and they listen to him. He says to demons who are oppressing people, get out, and they listen to him. He says to the wind and the waves, be still, and they listen to him. And Jesus is establishing his authority all the time. And here again, we see that Jesus doesn't need to break this young donkey. He doesn't need to work with it for hours and hours in a round pen. He just gets on and is the rightful master. He is the Lord. He is sovereign. And 
any equestrian person would go, this may be Jesus' biggest miracle, that he could get on the back of this unbroken donkey and ride it successfully into Jerusalem and have all of these people around screaming and shouting and doing all these things and singing his praises. Now, of course, when Jesus is coming in, this is the next part we get to, the people, what do they say? They say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This word Hosanna means save us. And it's a proclamation that they are very familiar with. They're quoting the 118th Psalm here, which is a Psalm full of expectancy and full of hope that says, Lord, save us. Please save us. We need you. We need something from outside of ourselves. We can't do this. We need you to send our Savior for us. And then they say, when he delivers us, it will be Hosanna, the son of David, will come. And so they are calling him Jesus, son of David. They're calling him the Messiah. And they're saying all of these hopes that our ancestors had for the one who would come to save, when God would work to save his people, they are fulfilled in this person riding in on a donkey. And they have every hope that Jesus is going to be this conquering king that they hope for. The Jews love this Maccabean revolt. It got them back into the worship. They were able to, you know, cleanse the temple and it reinstated them and it saved them. And that's their expectations for Jesus. But Jesus isn't that guy. He's not that king but he is their savior. So they're crying out for salvation and they're asking for this military king. But what they're getting is something very different. They're getting this humble, gentle king who comes riding in on the back of a donkey. Now, I think for us, when we look at this, we have to realize that more often than not, when we come to Jesus, we have needs inside of our mind. We have wants and desires inside of our mind that we go, if only you could do this one thing for me, you know, if if the Yankees win the World Series, then I'll, I'll follow you, right? We have these things that feel very pressing to us and typically, you know, more serious than our sports. But sometimes people take that very seriously too. <laughs> but we have these things that we come and we expect, we, we go, this is the area in which I need salvation. This is the thing I need saving from. If you can reconcile this, Lord, then then you will be my king. I will call you the Lord. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling myself king because I am. Because I can talk to the, because I can get up on this donkey and ride this stubborn donkey into town. I can, I can break this thing without having to break it because I can master it, because I can cast demons out, because I can raise the dead. This is who I am. I am the king and I am coming in peace. I don't need you to tell me I can be your king. He's saying either you accept me as your king or you're going to crucify me. And this is exactly what happens when Jesus comes in to Jerusalem. He's saying, I am the king. They want a certain kind of king, but they're not getting the king that they want, right? And no doubt, some of the same people who are here saying, Hosanna, blessed is the son of David, are later, just a few days from now, going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They're going to, the, the fickleness of this crowd, because they won't get what they want, is, is a problem. And so Jesus is saying, I'm coming as the king. That's firmly established for Jesus. He's not insecure in this. He's very, very confident that he is who he's claiming to be. And he's making this statement on purpose. But he needs us to understand the kind of king that he is. Because what Jesus is bringing, the salvation that he's offering, is different than the salvation they expect. They want 
They want their own comfort. They want their own ease of life. They want to be free from the surrounding nations and the pressures that they're facing from Rome and, and all of the surrounding cultures. They, that's what they want. That's what they're hoping for. And Jesus is saying, I'm reconciling you to God. I'm fixing this long broken thing because it is the most important thing for you. And he's coming in, going to the cross saying, this is the king that I'm going to be. So if we want to accept Jesus as king, we have to say, save me not in the way that I'm asking necessarily, but in the way that you see fit. There's a saying, right? And I, I, think, I, I think it was Timothy Keller that was saying it in his sermon. He was saying, um, we always, Jesus always gives us, God always gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. God always gives us in prayer what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. We don't know what we need for salvation all the time. We, you know, in this particular moment when we're asking and, and life feels like it's falling apart, we're going, Lord, where are you? How are, are you not showing up? I mean, this is a very difficult thing for in our life of prayer as we, as we go through this. And it calls us into faith and it calls us to believe in God and, and to believe in Jesus and the goodness that they have and that they do answer prayer and that God does answer prayer. But it's not always in the way that we want. In fact, very rarely is it exactly in the way that we want. And we go, we would pray more often than not for the lack of trial, for the lack of difficulty, for ease of life, you know, for nice cars and lots of these things. And he's teaching us differently. He's saying, I'm coming to offer you the salvation that you need, not the one that you're going to ask for. Because we are fickle people. But he is, he is unchanging from age to age. He is always good. And he, he understands over all of time what is good for us. And he knows all of these things that we don't know. And so this is the king who's coming. Jesus is saying, I'm the king. He's not insecure about it. And I'm bringing a salvation that you need most desperately. I'm, this is what I'm offering you. And it's not, it's not a vending machine that we say, this is this I would like to apply for this kind of a salvation. Jesus is saying, I'm offering you the salvation that you you would be most grateful for if you understood all that I know. This is the thing that will bring you real and true peace, happiness, life, everlasting, all of these things. This is what Jesus is offering. So he's coming as king. He's not insecure about it. He's coming to offer us the salvation that we need most desperately. And he's coming gently. We have to get this image in our head. He's not, you know, whipping the horse and riding in on it with a sword in his hand and, and, or a spear in his hand. He's not, he's not the warrior conquering king. You don't ride a donkey into battle. You ride this into a time of peace. And this is what he's ushering in is a, an era of reconciliation with God where this salvation is possible. And for us, we need to let down. We need to let go of these areas that we go, this is how I want my salvation to look like. And we order up something. And then when God doesn't give it to us, we go, well, I don't know if I believe in you or not, or I don't know if I like you or not. It doesn't really matter. He's not coming to be liked. He's coming as the king. And either we accept him as the king or we reject him and crucify him ultimately. This is this is the choice, right? It's like that, there's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it's, you know, either Jesus was an absolute lunatic because he said ridiculous things, and a megalomaniac who just was like egocentric, and he makes big claims to being the son of God and all of these other kind of things. Either he was a stark raving lunatic, 
or he was who he said he was. He's not giving us this third option that we want to choose where we go, I like Jesus, I'm comfortable with him, you know? Like when they send those polls around, they say, what do you think about Christians? People hate Christians generally, or, you know, we score lower on the, on the polls than when they ask, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Christians? Well, you know, Christians are people. I've had to deal with them. Some of them are opinionated. Some of them are, are awful people. What do you think about Jesus? Well, Jesus was a pretty good guy. He's a pretty nice guy. I really like Jesus. But that's not an option that Jesus is giving us. Either he's a crazy man and starting a cult that's going to be like dangerous and lunatic stuff, or he is the king that he claims to be. And this is the choice that we have. It's not order up the salvation we want, but say yes to the king who's coming. And the kingdom that he's building is one of humility and gentleness and peace. And this is what Jesus is showing us. In contrast to our expectations, it's not going to be one earned through works and, and, and you know, power and acclaim and all of these other kind of things. It's going to be a kingdom where we get to come in humbly. and We get to say, Lord, you have done what I could not do. And you have given a gift. You have served in a way that I could not, that I didn't deserve. And so there is now peace. And this is what Jesus is offering us. This is what he's inviting us into. So as we come into this week prior to Easter and we're getting looking forward to, to Good Friday and all of these things, let's be reflecting on, well, on the 118th Psalm, I sent a reflection out earlier this week uh, for that, but let's be reflecting on that and saying, what does it mean for us to call on Hosanna, our Savior? And what things are we putting up in the way saying, if you save me from this first, then I can follow you. But just allow him to be the savior that he claims to be, who says, I want to reconcile you with God. I want to fix that relationship. And for some of us, that means we have to turn away from these other things and we have to go, okay, I gotta, come, I gotta, I gotta be okay with this. I gotta accept Jesus as he claims to be. Not some nice guy, but I gotta deal with this thing. And either I let him be the Lord, Jesus Christ, or Lord of my life, or, or I don't. Or I, or I say, I, I need to distance myself from him because he's one or the other, right? This is, this is ultimately kind of our choice. And so as we come up to Easter, as we look forward to the cross, as Jesus is coming, approaching the cross, we look forward to that and we look forward to the resurrection. Let's consider the kind of kingdom that he's building. It's one of peace. It's not military conquest. We don't have to go out and, you know, beat everybody up for not thinking the same way that we think, but instead we get to go out and bring in this kingdom, this kingdom of peace and of reconciliation. Even for people who don't believe the same things as us, we still get to treat them as Jesus treats us. We still get to offer them this kind of salvation. We get to make the world around them and around us a better place in the way that Jesus is saying, this is all coming back, right? When all creation is restored to the way that God created it to be, we get to work toward that same picture of reconciliation and restoration that Jesus is calling us into in this kingdom whose king comes riding in humbly on the back of a donkey. Let's pray. Father, as we approach Easter and as we approach the cross, may we understand, Lord, that, that you call us into a changed life, that you are confrontational and that you're calling us away from something, but you're calling us into something so beautiful. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to trust 
that call on our lives, that we would follow you into this new kind of life, the salvation that you have for us. Help us to believe that it's better than what we could imagine. Help us to trust you, Lord, we ask. And as we go into this week ahead, help us to build into this kingdom, this kingdom that you have brought in and will bring to completion and will bring to fulfillment and will will complete and make all things new. Help us to, to move in that same direction, Lord, that as people see us working as they see us coming together in committees or meetings or or coming coming together even as a church or just coming together in backyards. May they see you, Lord, glorified among us in the way that we act and, and behave with one another and the way that we treat each other and the way that we treat the world around us. May it be a picture of who you are and your love for this world and this town. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, guys. Have a great week, and we will see you next week.